there is help out there if you can figure out that you A, need help, and B, are okay with asking for it. In this episode, Christy, a benefits analyst in human resources, and Val, a medical administrative assistant in orthopedic surgery, discuss their journey with mental health. Before I started working at Mayo, I kind of already got the Mayo experience because I ended up at Generos about two summers ago. I was just having a really hard time with my last job with the office politics. I was having a hard time with trying to keep everybody happy in the office and do it with the least amount of stress possible. And it just was not working. And it kind of came to a head when I got a performance review was sort of like a you're on probation for lack of a better term. That really scared me. So when I got that, that night, I went home to my husband. I was upset about it and I wanted to take my life, but he stopped that. So a week later, I was still having anxiety attacks before going to work And that's what led to St. Mary's. And then that's what led to the two-week outpatient program at Generos. What were you actually diagnosed with? General anxiety and depression. I didn't know that I was depressed until I took the P9 survey, which my primary care doctor gave me. I thought it was just anxiety because that I kind of had been dealing with forever. But now there's this whole depression element where you think nothing's going to get better. You don't know how to get yourself out of the situation. And when you start seeing those questions and just feeling that pit in your stomach, you're like, okay, this hit home and something else might be going on here too. And I had no idea. I am a huge proponent of that PH9 depression screen Mm -hmm. where I have someone close to me talking about they're struggling. I Google it and I send it to them and say, you need to take the screening because that screening, you can recognize, oh my gosh, I am feeling hopeless. I am not enjoying anything. I am not in a good place because it's so easy to rationalize. I'm having a hard time at work. We're going through a pandemic. I'm stressed. But in many cases, it really is something more than that. And people aren't able to recognize that in themselves. No, not all the time. Definitely not in my case. And it's a physiological reaction too. every question that I answered while I went down that survey, just the tears started welling up more and more and more. Cause I was just like, Oh my God, this is me. This is me. This has been me for the previous five years and I have done nothing about it. And that's probably why it all just came to a head at that time, because I had done nothing. A lot of that was filled with anxiety and depression looking back now. So that was probably consistent until I was 22 and I'm 31 now. And I only got that help two years ago. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So it was definitely a wake up call. I worked in radio and it's, it's a very hard industry, very cutthroat, very demanding, very on call 24 seven, very image conscious. So all of that just, Hmm it makes this, you know, hornet's nest of an abyss (laughs) that you can kind of fall into because there's so much going on. My story is quite a bit different up until the end where you talk about what you were experiencing because I totally mimic that. Now in hindsight, I can see signs of it back when I was 16, 
18, mm. 20. But the first time I asked for help was when I was actually pregnant for the first time 10 years ago. We struggled to get pregnant with our first. And then when I finally was pregnant, I hated everything about it. It's not that I didn't want my baby. I just wanted to be done with the situation. I was sick. I was stressed. I was anxious. I was worried. And I actually remember crying to a coworker and she said, Christy, you need to talk to your doctor about this. It sounds like you have depression. And I thought, well, there's no such thing as prepartum depression. There's only postpartum depression. And she said, no, you can be depressed while pregnant. I was like, but this is supposed to be the happiest time of my life. I'm finally having a baby I've always wanted. I ended up going to my doctor and she prescribed me antidepressants for the first time in my life, a very low dose. And that helped and had my baby and he had health issues that he struggled with and was crying all the time. And so mm. I sank deeper. And so then they increased my medication and then I was good. And then when I had my second child, overwhelmed again, feeling like a failure at everything, not doing well. So they increased my medication again. And I remember having a conversation with my primary care doctor when I said, I want a third child, but I'm struggling because every time I have a child, I have to increase my antidepressant medication. That doesn't make sense. I shouldn't be having more children, right? Obviously I can't handle it. And she said, Christy, we can help with that. That's not a reason to not have a child that you want. Yeah. And we'll get you what you need. And so I had my third child and I stayed at the highest dose and everything was good for a while. It was managed. You would never know. I don't have episodes. I'm functioning very well. Well, then fast forward to 2020 with the pandemic and mm -hmm. my kids um, weren't able to go to school. So they were at home hundred percent. So I was juggling a full-time job and distance learning with two elementary school kids. I can't imagine. <laughs> but that's the thing. Everybody says that. Everybody says, I yeah. don't know how you do it. I can't imagine. Like it must be so hard. And so I would tell myself, well, we're all struggling. I'm no different than my coworkers. I finally had to admit that it was different for me because I already had depression. Mm -hmm. You can't put a depressive person in a depressing situation and expect the outcome to be okay. Things just got dark. I had no patience with my kids. I would yell at them and then go to my room. I just wanted to be alone. I didn't want anyone to be around me. I would have meltdowns where I'd cry in the bathroom. And all I would think about in that moment was, I just want things to be different. I just can't do this anymore. I can't live in this situation another day. And it was just hopeless and devastating and dark. It's hard to find people to talk to about it because they'd say, well, just you know, think positive, which like, is the worst thing you could say. Like if I could think positive, trust me, I would, I don't like feeling this way. You know, you need a different perspective. You need time for yourself. I take time for myself. I go to the gym every day. So eventually went back to my doctor, started getting help again. And really what actually helped me the most was taking time off work, which mm -hmm. is a very scary thing. I tried taking a day here or there, but it didn't really help. So I actually went on a medical leave of absence, which was very frightening. Thankfully, I have a manager who I think the world of and would do anything for my well-being. So she was fine. But then your coworkers, when I started struggling, I started acting differently in a way that they probably noticed. I'm normally so happy and bubbly and 
outgoing and talkative and social. Those are all the ways people describe mm -hmm. me. I stopped calling people on Skype to talk to them, to catch up on the weekend, kept chit chat very short. I made myself unavailable. So I really just kind of shut down socially. And then there was one person that I trusted. She said to me that I'd rather have everything at work fall apart than have you fall apart. And of course I immediately start crying and yeah, that's the kind of support you need. That's the kind of support right. anybody needs. And that gave me the courage to say, okay, I need help. I think I need to be off work and it's going to be okay. Even though it burdened her to have me gone, it was just that unquestioning support. We're here for you. We trust you. We're not judging you. How to be supportive when another employee comes to you and says that they're struggling with their mental health. Just listen. Just listen, because there's so many people who won't even do that much. I have seen employees totally turn their mood around and their day around just because they were able to have someone listen to them. One of my doctors told me was, this is just a very small blip in your long career at Mayo Clinic. You may not be at work for a couple months, but how large is that compared to the 30 years of service that you're going to have at Mayo and you're going to flourish and come back from this? and be stronger and better in your job. That's a great way to look at it. So how did you, how did you recover? I went to the St. Mary's ER because I had an anxiety attack about 10 minutes before I was supposed to go on the air. So I had a coworker that walked in on me crying and he took me there. He is actually part of our local chapter of NAMI. He knew what to do, and I was very grateful for that. So I did two weeks of outpatient mood program at Generos, and we talked a lot about social rhythm therapy, which is essentially just keeping a schedule and sticking to it to maintain your focus throughout the day. And then we did a lot of mindfulness, which I found most helpful to just sit there and let things happen without reaction and just let it be and let your thoughts just kind of collect. I found that to be pretty helpful. It helps you kind of learn to tune other things out. And then we did yoga and other recreation. It was kind of a mix of a bunch of treatments. It was, it was kind of like they were handing it to us on a platter and saying, this is some of what we know works. Let's try it all and figure out what works for you. So the worst part of it was I was leaving that program and going right back into that same environment that put me there in the first place. So it was like one more time I had to learn the hard way until I changed that environment, I probably wouldn't be happy. And sometimes it is about changing your environment, changing who you're around, what you're around. That's something I learned the hard way. I didn't really want to leave radio. I loved my job, but I couldn't ignore that the industry was just not what I thought it was. Yeah, I couldn't really get rid of my kids. And I didn't want to, right? It's not like I didn't love them and want them to be around me. Mm -hmm. But getting rid of work for, I think it was three weeks mm -hmm. and allowed me to reset. Mm -hmm. And then they slowly started going back to school, which helped. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I got started with some therapy, which helped put my thoughts into reality. My big thing is I'm a failure. I have perfectionism running through my veins and any little mistake. And I just feel like, you know, if my child didn't get on their Zoom call on time, then they were going to be a high school dropout and it would be all no. my fault. I can understand those anxious thoughts. <laughs> totally irrational. So my therapist would question me like, 
Is that a true fact, Christine? No, but we can we can feel it just with everything else going on around us. That pressure is everywhere. It's hard. I want people to know that they don't have to live in misery. I feel like I'm recovered now after a couple months. And I've learned things that will help me if things get really bad again. Mm -hmm. That's the best part is just knowing that you at least have the tools. I don't know that anxiety or depression is something that ever goes away. It's just kind of managed. And if you've got those tools to manage it, I think you're better off. I can easily recognize now when I'm thinking and living in a way that is not the way I want to. The way I react to stimulus and triggers and things like that is just way different. After I recovered back into a good place, I remember driving in the car with my kids and my daughter did something and I just started laughing. And I thought, I don't remember the last time I laughed in the car with my kids. Like (laughs) every day before this, it seems like all I did was just want to cry in the car with Mm -hmm. my kids. And isn't this amazing? Like they are funny kids and Mm -hmm. I should laugh. I'm not a parent. So I'm kind of curious to know from you, did you find depression before them any different than maybe pre or postpartum? I think my previous depression was pretty immature, meaning there was a few times in my life that I did actually hurt myself, which I thought about one time in this depressive episode, but I never did it because I thought of my kids and what would they think and what would I tell them? I just have more responsibility that I can make better decisions now, even in that depressive mindset. So that's different. And now I have a partner that I didn't have before. So sometimes he makes things better. Sometimes he makes things worse in all honesty. (laughs) He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand why I'm this way, but he wants to have a responsibility to him as the mother of his children to be okay. I had to learn to be a lot more communicative about what was going on up in here that I struggled to articulate. I had to get better at telling him I'm not okay. I don't feel good. I don't feel right. It it took some time to do that. And he was actually able to tell me, well, I don't like it when you isolate and you go off the room somewhere and just stay there for hours. That worries me. And I was like, I never realized that. So it's, so important to constantly have those conversations, especially with your immediate family and your close friends. Because I think that's the only way that they can maybe learn or at least learn what it's like for you to be depressed or to be anxious. There were two people who I entrusted them because I know that they too have struggled with mental health. So I felt like they could understand, but all my other close friends, I just kept my distance. I didn't say anything to them. I avoided them. Mm -hmm. And I told them after and they're like, well, why didn't you tell me I could have helped? And I, I didn't even know really how to process it myself, let alone try to explain it to anyone. That's the hard thing is sometimes you really don't know how to describe what you're feeling or what you want to do to fix the problem or what you think would actually be helpful. Sometimes the only thing you could really say is I just know something's off. That becomes a challenge sometimes because they want to know more. They want more information, but you can only provide so much. It's just a deep down feeling you can't even put words to. I felt numb a lot. Or just unmotivated. Like you're just kind of in a pit and you don't really see much of a way out of it. You try to do what you can about it. And when one thing doesn't work, you try another thing and try another thing. I think there's a lot of people who go through that that end up trying 
hundreds of different types of therapy or medications just to find like the right combination that works for them. And that in itself, I'm sure is a challenge. I've learned whether it comes to treatment or coping with it, speaking about it, being as open about it as you can, can only help. It's still scary though. <sighs> yeah. I, oh, I know it can be. You don't know how it's perceived. I think it will become more and more normalized to firstly have the discussion and then secondly admit that it's a thing and then thirdly do something about it. It's okay to not be okay. If you need help, please connect with a resource or someone you trust. If you know someone that needs help, be supportive and encourage them to reach out. There is hope and there is help. It's okay to not be okay. <laughs>